Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment before the monsters came. Humanoids from the deep dive. Welcome to the podcast Humanoids from the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the meanings and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Each episode, we'll see guests and myself give our take on an important movie, monster, and or film, and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore. Today's episode, we will be covering one of my favorite recent sci-fi horror entries, festival favorite come true, and it's Nightmare Men. Uh, that's what I call them, at least. Fans of the show can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Podbean, and also follow us on Twitter at HFT Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. I'm an entertainment contributor for Forbes, Looper, Nightmare on Film Street on genre film. I've co-edited books on you know, different monster media and written chapters on everything from Frankenstein, Jurassic Park, uh, to Cloverfield or Hell, basically, if it's monster related if it's horror related i uh i totally love it and uh this film is my jam and i'm so excited to be able to share it with you uh, at home uh so i'd like to uh introduce first uh today's guest co-host uh andrew fleming dunn thank you for stopping by once again andrew and then uh, we have two really excellent guests today and and i'm pumped anthony scott burns is the writer, director, cinematographer, editor, and composer for Come True. And Vincenzo Natale is the, is the film's executive producer. And you'll also know him from uh, a variety of things, including, uh, you know, well-known genre horror classics like Cube and Splice. Uh, thank you both so very much for stopping by today. Uh, it's our pleasure. <laughs> Real pleasure. So... Uh, to describe to the listeners at home generally uh, what the plot of Come True is, uh, Teenage Runaway takes part in a sleep study and over a, a course of, of successive monitorings of, of the, the dreams that she has, she has very vivid and intense nightmares. And as the film progresses the nightmares start to bleed into reality in increasing ways and in increasingly terrifying ways. So that's kind of where I'll leave it for now. My general, my general impression of the film is uh, I, I love it. I, I interview you, you gentlemen about yes. the film before I, I think the visuals are really stunning and they really carry that dream logic into the film in very interesting ways. I love kind of like the bigger picture behind uh, some of the inspiration that, and some of that came out in our interview. Um, uh, yeah. I just think it's, it's a really smart film and it's, uh, it's, it's not a good idea to watch it late at night, but that's what I did. And uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, it scares some people, it scares some people and it, and it, and it doesn't affect other people at all. So it's kind of an interesting um you know the reviews that I've seen so far. You know, and the, sort of the takes online. It's it's it is 
it's weird that it really affects some people and, and it just does not do anything for other people. <laughs> I don't know how to say that in an intelligent way, but but it's 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 wild to see something that you create hit some people so hard and then and others not at all. So it's it's uh, definitely something that some people will uh, really like and some people won't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's also interesting because I'm, I'm not going to spoil the uh, the ending, but also the ending does admit itself to different interpretations as well. And so that's another whole different aspect uh, of how you can look at the film. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's funny. Um, recently, there's, there was a reviewer or who's also, a, I guess she writes for blogs, who figured out the film. And did I send that to you, Vincenzo? Uh, oh, was that a little while ago? Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and she's, a, she's a doctor as well, and she goes into the psychology of the film and the sort of links to uh, Carl Jung's theories on dreams and, and really, really got the entire movie. And it was kind of wild to see somebody able to sit down, watch the film, and, and dissect it in a way that was pretty spot on. So That's really cool. Can you send that to me as well? I will. I will. You know, it's 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 really cool that someone went that, that deep into the film and but Love it. got it. <laughs> and and you know, it wasn't my intent to have it be something that you had to know or or you know to enjoy the film, but it definitely is layered in there um, and and sort of informs all the decisions on the plot. So when someone thinks you know that's a little bit weird, it really is derived from. Um, me wanting to create a narrative out of Carl Jung's theories on dreams because I tend to think they're a little bit correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's I'm I'm glad because I was gonna I have questions about that for you for the film because that's exactly the type of show this is. Great. So, but the first thing I wanted to ask you, you both, is um, you know what inspired the film, and and also how did you two come to work together on it. Uh, Vincenzo, do you want to talk about how? Oh, we uh, well, you, you should you should begin. You should talk about the inspiration. Well, the inspiration will come from me. Um, uh, okay. Well, honestly, it was pretty simple. The minute I'm really afraid of technology, um, and I don't know why I'm afraid of it because it's it's kind of great, but at the same time, I usually I don't know. There's something about people. Um, diving off the deep end into whatever is new and fresh and, and exciting. And we all sort of do it together. And then we look at, we look at what it did to us in hindsight. It seems to be a constant in our development. And that sort of scares me. Um, and so whenever something comes out, uh, I, I, I tend to read a lot of blogs and, and, and magazines and, and papers on new technological advances because as you know, I enjoy being on the cutting edge of that stuff as well and taking advantage of it for our own needs. Um, so whether it's, you know, AI doing deep, deep fakes, you know, I've been looking into this for years now because it's an exciting breakthrough that can affect our, affect our, our filmmaking as well. Um, but so in this case, uh, it was, it was, uh, a, I think a blog post about how Berkeley was, it was, um, developing software and technology to be able to see the um, images that our eyeballs see and sort of interpreting what, what our, you know, the nerve, nervous system uh, sees as, as imagery and, and sends to our brain. Um, and so that translation of what we see into digital information really, really 
got me thinking and the first thing was well what what if we could see our dreams and what would what what would be in there and sort of the the the, the sort of mix of that idea and uh the fact that i had grown up having sleep paralysis and this big question of why is it that we all see the same mm -hmm. things when we have sleep paralysis that cross pollination of ideas of of what happens if we see our dreams and what it what what is it with this sort of iconography that you know carl jung talks of and, and this sort of shared collective consciousness what what would be revealed and and so that's where the the inspiration came it was pretty pretty it was like a no-brainer for me it really is is if you can see your dreams then we can figure some things out you know and, and how can we figure ourselves out in a, in a deeper way um and from there i was just trying to construct something that was entertaining um but had some meaning to it um, yeah yeah, so yeah just a, a, a ride that is scary um entertaining but also has a deeper meaning behind it that was the impetus of why i wanted to create come true so that's that's really it yeah and then um i in terms of how anthony and i came together um i've never done this before but i had seen a couple of anthony's shorts on a website that no longer exists called twitch film and I read in the article about them that he was from Toronto and I've never done this before or since I cold called him <laughs> and said, um, oh, wow. you know, I think your stuff is really great and I'd like to work with you. Um, and, uh, we developed this kind of funny relationship just talking on the phone and we discussed a few things potentially to do. And, uh, and they didn't immediately materialize, but, um, slowly, but surely Anthony, and I sort of developed this friendship and I ended up around that time making, um, uh, an anthology horror series called Darknet. And I lured Anthony into directing one of the episodes. He foolishly agreed and did an amazing job. I like that a lot. Oh, do you? Oh, you've actually seen it. Yeah, yeah, it was on Netflix uh, a few years ago. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah, and uh, it was really fun. You know, it was kind of watching Anthony work has sort of been a resuscitation for me as a filmmaker because uh, the <laughs> making of movies, as you well know, it can be so slow and painful that mm -hmm. at a certain point it can be debilitating. And I think at that time, I had a couple very ambitious projects that. Uh, hadn't come to fruition after working on them for quite some time. And I was, and it was getting very difficult to finance movies uh, in general. And this show Darknet appeared out of nowhere, something that I had been toying with and in a very short amount of time materialized and, and watching Anthony work, doing everything himself, like literally placing the camera on this tiny little tripod and with a you know, do-it-yourself approach and yet producing images that were so refined and beautiful that you could compare them to virtually anything else out there really inspired me and really lit a flame um, inside me because seeing that he could do it made me think, well, maybe, you know, I can get back to the basics and, and do it too. So it was a, it was a really exciting time. 
And uh, anyway, I'm making this a very long no, story, but it's excellent. It's great. Uh, but it, but it's you know, it's nice. Yeah, it's nice to hear because I think, and Anthony Burns, and Anthony Scott Burns out there is an inspiration to all of us, mm-hmm. like to to show us that we can do this stuff on our own. I mean, we might not, not all of us may have his talent, but, um, but Anthony truly does everything himself and uh and and yet because i want to not because he wants to uh, who would maybe he's foolish in that way but no not at all quite quite the opposite i think that um i I think you know like a fine craftsman anthony while it's painful takes pleasure in everything that he does whether it's writing music for the film or um or you know shooting it or writing it any everything um but it, it's it's that kind of do-yourself punk attitude, with, but with results that are not rough, but that are like incredibly refined, is is it's sort of inspiring for anybody who likes to do this stuff. And and then mm-hmm. especially for me, because I think Anthony and I have similar taste in the movies that we like, and a, a similar approach to genre, where we, you know, we love genre for what it is, but we also, you know, aspire to do things with it that maybe um, have a little bit of, that are exploratory and meaningful to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so exploratory is a great name or a great thing to say. That's what I was saying to uh, some of the publicists on come true is that I've recently realized that there is a connective tissue between all Canadian genre filmmakers and it's that they're exploratory. We don't get, in other words, we don't get yeah. out much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, right. And there's a there's a there's a fear factor to it as well. I think you know there's a collect there's a fear amongst uh, Canadian genre filmmakers, and I didn't realize it. And I didn't it, when I was younger. I didn't want to be a part of that. You know, <laughs> you know, like I I thought you know that there there wasn't something that was connective. But now I realize there is when you look at the sort of all the films that come out of Canada and the genre spaces that there is an exploratory nature to them. You know. You can even argue that something like anime mm-hmm. is oh, there. Yeah, I, I can so. definitely see that too with like uh, with your work and with the Cronenbergs, you know, uh, which I'm going to just start throwing around the Cronenbergs all the time. <laughs> um, but you can definitely see that. And it also produces uh, a lot of, of really creative spins on what could be very straightforward plots a lot of the time. Oh, yes. Well, we're lucky in Canada in that we we do have a support system here for for artists mm. and filmmakers and i think that allows us to be exploratory in a way that is not just um financial mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um we're very very lucky in that uh, and you know i think you're right vincenzo is that that you and I, I think, in Cronen- the Cronenbergs, <laughs> we, 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 we definitely want to bring an artistry to genre because it, it's super fun. Mm-hmm. It's just fun. <laughs> Do you know? It's, uh, genre is the fun place to, to tell stories. It's, it's, it's like, for me, it's like magic tricks. We get to, we get to be magicians up here and make, tell and, and, or, or tell jokes. It's like telling jokes genre is the place that you can just uh explore these wild ideas and 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 uh have fun doing it well there's such a care that i've noticed from canadian horror films 
in particular, uh, when, in comparison to, let's say, the, uh, the USA, uh, you care about your audience's intelligence and you care about your characters like intelligence and emotional response to things. There's, there's a, uh, you're, you're definitely not afraid to get cool and, and, and gross and, and out there, but I mean, these people have places in the world and I, I don't, I don't know for, for me as a, as a guy who loves the genre, but as I get older, you know, tastes change and, and tastes mature. It's, it's something I've always loved from like cube to, to, um, uh, like splice, even the ginger. I'm a big splice films. fan, by the way. Yeah, uh, I adore splice. Uh, that is one I'd like to uh, shock unsuspecting things <laughs> with every hour. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. That's one of the things I, I I said to Vincenzo right away was how I like for me it was it's the the daringness mm-hmm. of that film <laughs> is something that you, we don't get to see a lot of, oh, no. um, just due to the fact that. I mean, Vincenzo could speak to this, but I don't know. That must have been hard to a hard story to sort of get people on board with. It's yeah, at like points. the characters are doing what now? Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. It's, it's, what, what, what is your product? But uh, I was just going to say that, like, you know, what would be a good idea? We should do a follow-up podcast on Splice. If only there were a deep dive monster podcast that loved having you on the show. No right. Well, I think I'd love to chat that movie with you sometime. Any, no, believe me, anytime. Um, but I think you can see there's there's a little bit of shared DNA, and and it should be pointed out that um, Steve Hoban, who's the producer, a producer, Uncome True produced Ginger Snaps. So it's a it all yes. It's a, <laughs> you know I I we are we are all uh, consciously or not I think you know children of, of David Cronenberg. Well, here's here's one more fact, Vincenzo, is Nick uh, and I were watching, uh, Nick is the producer, uh, one of the uh, co-producer on Come True. We were watching uh, the second Ginger Snaps recently, and the bookstore in the opening scene is the bookstore no. from Come True. <laughs> it's all connected. And, listen, no, listen to this, Vincenzo. His name, the, the, the guy at the bookstore, his name is Jeremy. No. I've never seen Which Ginger is actually Snaps quite a good too. movie. Uh, <laughs> That's, there you go. <laughs> and, and, and it is. And, and and it was shot in Edmonton. The Ginger Snaps verse. And the books <laughs> Yeah, the big the bookstore is the same one where Sarah that, and Jeremy meet each this other. This is gonna be my, my new theory from now on. Like all Canadian <laughs> horror films are in the same shared in the universe. Ginger Snaps. One shared universe. <laughs> yeah. They 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 may well be. They may well be. I, I like to think that Shivers is happening just down the road. From <laughs> oh, it is. You know? And curtains. 100%. Yes, curtains. Um, <laughs> I, I love this theory now. I'm going to run with it. Um, okay. I, I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, Anthony, because you mentioned uh, sort of the Jungian inspiration for the film. And I kind of wanted to to know if you'd speak a little bit more about that. Well, without... Um, you know, ruining the film for people and having them have to think about two layers of, of film. It really just comes down to the archetypes of characters and ideas of our psychology as human beings. Um, I think he was very accurate. Um, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe he's wrong. But uh, 
I tend to I tend to agree with a lot of his theories, and so I based um, the characters and the happenings in the film on his ideas of dreams, mm -hmm. and so the film itself is an exploration of his ideas on dreams and what makes us who we are, um, what, what makes us whole and what we should fear and what we shouldn't fear. And so that's layered into the decisions, but you know, on its own outside of all those things, uh, it's still just an entertaining genre film. And I wanted to movies with layers like that, um, really always drew me in. Um, something is, you know, like Mary Heron's American mm -hmm. psycho, uh, this is a movie that works on levels. If you go and you see that and you're a horror fan, you're really into gore and for whatever reason you're excited by some guy in a suit killing people, you can go to that movie and you can enjoy it. But if you want to see an examination of toxic masculinity uh, that makes me laugh really hard, and I saw it eight times in the theater because it made me laugh so hard about you know how people react and, and, and put on masks uh, to you know to be something they aren't, then you can see it for that. And, it, and it's just as exciting and, and valuable to that audience. And so I really, really wanted to make something in that vein where uh, it works on multiple levels for different people. Uh, totally, totally. Um, I, I love the um, your sort of uh, approach to portraying uh, the sort of the collective nightmare landscape almost is I guess one way to define it. I, I yeah. love the way that, cause that's such a difficult yeah. thing to visually pin down. Like bef before you got on uh, uh, your work, I wouldn't call it cosmic horror, but it's like, uh, has some similar difficulties that I was talking to, to Andrew before we were recording about how it's hard to have, there are some really great cosmic horror films, but it's a hard genre to pull off completely because there's things that are hard to put into that visual form and have it make sense yes. and be coherent and work on screen. And it's the same thing with dream logic. Um, but I, I think you did such a good job of, of showing, you know, this collective unconscious nightmare landscape. Uh, yeah. I, I, I kind of would like to know how you came about figuring out your approach to how you try and picture that. Well, it's, it's weird because a lot of the stuff comes from uh, either stuff that I know other people have dreamt about, or it comes from my own dreams. And my dreams are often I'm moving forward and I can't really look behind me. Um, I don't know why. And so I just came up with the idea of why don't I make the dreams feel like mm -hmm. my dreams? And the chances are that there are other people on this planet who will have the same thing. And therefore, they'll connect to that and and further connecting the uh, collective consciousness. Um, and and some people have written that the, you know these look just like my dreams. I, I it kind of freaks me out, and that's great. <laughs> um, but it really came from me wanting to extrapolate on what I see in my dreams and use that as a starting point and and go from there. Um, other stuff, like I said, is based on on typical. Um, dream iconography that 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 is well documented and so i wanted to you know hide that stuff in there and then other stuff is just there to scare people <laughs> um so 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 obviously the shadow people the the nightmare men um i call them nightmare people because there's there's sure. women in there too hidden uh, amongst the men uh 
but those nightmare people are are just shadows and and there's something about that figure some people this is what i was saying earlier is that people some people are scared by this and other people it doesn't affect them at all um and you know go on letterboxd uh, you'll see you'll see people say you know ah this wasn't scary at all other people this scared me to death and i find that really interesting um because i do think you know in in sort of support of the ideas of Carl Jung and the collective consciousness, there are some things that we as a species seem to fear just out of, and we don't know why. And I think, you know, his theory, and I, I tend to think it's correct, is that it's a genetic memory. And when it comes to shadows and eyes, just look at a, you know, a cat at night, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's primal. It's something that, you know, obviously our ancestors didn't want to see yeah. that stuff. Uh, glowing eyes at night meant you were probably going <laughs> to yeah, die. Yeah, your night's bad. <laughs> Something was going to eat you. Your night is bad. You're going to die. So the next time you, you know, that that information gets passed down to the next generation, they don't want to see that. And so, while we can have scientific reasons for why we think those those things make us fearful, um, I wanted to exploit, you know, the more supernatural ideas. Uh, of of like w what is really going on is there something out there that we're not supposed mm -hmm. to see um and so the the shadow people came from the the fact that i had sleep paralysis and i saw i used to see a shadow person sitting at the end of, end of my bed mm -hmm. um i thought it was my mom when i was a kid because my mother passed away when i was a kid and i thought well maybe she's like protecting me um and later on i i started to fear this thing and think that if it ever turned around i was going to be in big trouble if I ever saw its eyes, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> so it always freaked me out. Every time I see a shadow with eyes, I get freaked out. And I knew that if I'm not alone, because this is something after, you know, Rodney Asher's great documentary, The Nightmare, yes. was sort of the proof in the pudding for me was everyone sees this. Everyone who has sleep paralysis sees these things. And while you can say there's a scientific or, you know, there's a, there's a reason I wanted, like I said, to to explore the the the, the fantastical, the twilight zone reason, mm -hmm. the reason you know for these things to exist, and so that's where that's where all of these nightmares came from. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. I, I have a I've never had sleep paralysis myself, but I I did have a an ex at one point that who did like since she was a a child, and she did describe kind of shadowy figures that she would sometimes see like in the edges of the room or on the ceiling once mm -hmm. or twice i suffer from it a few times a year actually and i have since uh childhood i used to be a sleepwalker as well and the uh the shadow people yeah it's sometimes it's an impression because like you know for anybody who doesn't really know sleep paralysis is when you, you sort of become aware during REM sleep and your eyes are open and you can see your surroundings, but you're still dreaming and you're utterly paralyzed. Mm -hmm. um, it usually happens to me lying face down and there's always the sense of a presence there and that if, like Anthony said, if I am to turn to see it, if I see its eyes, it's going to get like everything you've just said is exactly what I've been experiencing for 30 plus years of my life yeah it's not good <laughs> no and it's it's and it's 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 just that collective unconscious watching um the nightmare and because I, I hadn't met too many people who 
suffer from sleep paralysis, and I did really look into it because it's, it's honestly it's frightening. Um, the idea that we're all pulling from this one source in this one place is there, there's there's like a sense of uh, community there, you know, like I'm not alone in this. But then, holy yes. crap, how vulnerable are we? <laughs> exactly, and and the idea for me was was that same feeling. Oh, wow, we're all seeing the same thing. That's cool. Wait a second. That's not cool. <laughs> you know, wait a second. It's, it's At first, it's cool. Wait, yeah, I can feel vindicated. I'm not crazy. And then there's the other half, which is, but if we're all seeing the same thing, what is that thing? And so for me, it's a, it, again, it was, the, it was the no-brainer of yeah. um, combining what Berkeley's up to with that idea of this other place where, you know, some people talk about the connection to the Billie Eilish song, you know, where do we go? You know, mm-hmm. when we go to sleep. So, uh, out of curiosity, uh, Vincenzo, do, do you have a history of having nightmares? Like, is that something that you've dealt with, or uh, you're pretty much nightmare yeah, free? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did. I did. I did <laughs> paralysis. My my shadow creature was always a amorphous dark shape floating over the okay. bed. Um, so I didn't. I didn't get visited by anything humanoid but um uh but yeah i know i i have a connection to it for sure what i think one of the things that i love about anthony's filmmaking in general and in this movie specifically is its sense of ambiguity and it's it's strident uh unwillingness to explain itself um that's i think it's you know one of the things that's that makes it very special and and takes it out of just being like a regular genre movie makes it into something that feels really personal. And, and probably that's why it's so scary to a lot of people. It's just that, you know, it's a, it's hard to get your, your head around. Like it's hard to define it. And, and in its their lack of definition, um, it's that much more real and freaky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and frustrating for some. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it's always refreshing but, to be able to go back to a movie again and unpack something new and keep unpacking something new. I mean, it's the idea that you can layer on a new experience with every viewing, or even in between viewings, just there think about it, it's an astounding feat. And not enough, I think, inspire you to try it. You know, I don't know, Vincenzo, if you could speak to that, but I, I think there are a lot more people willing to do it mm-hmm. than people allowed to do it. And that comes back to why I like to do things myself uh and for for you know with less people around it's, it has nothing to do with me wanting to do everything and be a weird control freak it has to do with the ability to do something um ambiguous is hard it's hard to convince someone to spend a lot of money on that <laughs> you know i think that pe- more people would be willing to do it it's just really unless you can sort of do it the way we're doing it it's hard to convince someone that it's worth doing because you don't know on the other side when you're experimenting, you don't know what you're going to get on the other side. I can see it in my mind. Vincenzo might be able to see it in his mind, but very few people, you know, when it comes down to the financials mm-hmm. of something, you know, mm-hmm. can see it at the, on the other end and go, oh, yeah, yeah, go crazy. Go do something totally. weird and ambiguous. Never. Could you make this more ambiguous, less clear? Yeah, you're like, like, okay, yes. well, I'm just gonna write you a blank check. Um, can you yeah. muddy the waters a little bit? Yes. 
Yeah, it's not something that you're often asked to do. And so I think that's, that comes to, that's why, you know, unfortunately, I've, we've, I, I, I never, I always wanted to make stuff like this and, and it's, it's how it has to be done mm-hmm. sometimes. And that's why you get so little bit. Like, I think that's one of the reasons the movie's so special and, and it is getting a response because it's, that sort of thing is not available. You know, you have to rent, go, go look now. I don't look, excuse me, don't look now. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to experience yeah. that, that's, that's yeah. not a contemporary movie experience for the most part. Yeah. Uh, Don't Look Now is a great example too, Vincenzo, you know, of part of the methodology is, is and I, I think I, I recently tweeted this, is that we, in the in this sort of modern day struggle of trying, I, I feel like there's a lot of filmmakers trying to make perfect films, but I think that, you know, there's something missing when you try to cut out the weirdness. And when I say weirdness, I don't mean just weirdness for weirdness sake. Sure. Uh, I mean, the otherness that you want to explore uh, can sometimes be part of, I don't know, you could say it's, it's not quality filmmaking. That doesn't make sense. It's, it's, there's, there's something to instinct and there's something to your subconscious that you should listen to sometimes and knowing when to say yes and knowing when to say no uh, is the, you know, the, that's part of the director's vision. And when, when there is a committee or there's financials involved, uh, they can just cut out that, that instinct and the instinct doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, a lot of the classic films that we grow up watching that we really respond to and go, Oh, that's so interesting or, 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 wild it's such a great decision it, it was something that you know it's it's pre us striving for this cleanliness and perfection in film that mm-hmm. we now do it's it's uh yeah we're like, yeah. like there, there's this impulse to hide your metaphorical work to mm-hmm. and your flaws right. and your flaws mm-hmm. to hide your own personal flaws uh you know some of my favorite filmmakers are very flawed in their thinking and they're very flawed in their execution, but I really enjoy, we call them flaws because now we have this idea of what a perfect film is, but those quote flaws are the things that make it special. They're what make it unique and, 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 and personal. And they're the things that are going to stand the test of time. We have to, you know, great. We can go back to splice and talk about, you know, some of the things that happen in splice in that regard is that, there are things in that film that are completely unique to Vincenzo and, you know, decisions made that are so clearly uh, done from, you know, having known you now for years, these are, these are, these are your neuroses. And I love it that they're in that film, but now, you know, I'm sure if you had to go in the edit room and redo that film now, there'd be so many tweaks and things that would have to be done that that film couldn't exist. And then we would be robbed. Yeah. This is going to, we're, of sliding into a sidebar, but I, I feel like movies are time capsules. So, I mean, every time I finish yeah. a movie, I just instantly want to remake it because when by the time I finished it, I suddenly <laughs> learned how to make it. Um, and then it's of course, yeah. So I understand. Okay. I completely understand the impulse of you know George Lucas, for instance, going back into his Star Wars movies or all of his movies, in fact. And, and wanting to fiddle with them. Yeah. I think the danger in that is that the movie is a time capsule. Like it's, it speaks of the moment yeah. that it was made in. And, um, and then 
going in there and messing with it corrupts it as a time capsule. Um, and, mm. and it, it, we, for those of us who, you know, fell in love with Star Wars when it first came out, um, we love it for the flaws. We don't, you know, it's it's like a a, a good marriage. You 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 love the person that you're with, not just for the great things, but also for yes. the the flaw the flaws in them. Because if they didn't have those flaws, they'd be different people, um, different kind of person. So I, yes. yeah, I think that's, and that's where I I completely agree with everything you're saying, Anthony, about the state of contemporary filmmaking, where it's um. It's. It, I hate to say it, but it is filmmaking by a committee, even if it's not a committee making the film uh, per se. I, th- I think there's so much pressure put on the process that you end up having to listen to a lot of voices in the process of writing the movie, shooting it, editing it, finishing, etc. And And it... it it's just the, the that kind of external pressure dilutes the final product, um, and I, I, I'm sure it's always been that way to a, a certain extent. But it's it's sort of reached some kind of extreme level now, and uh, and again, that's why I think Come True is so special because at no point did anyone tell him we tricked that- people. <laughs> We tricked people That's into right. letting us do it. You, you were able to <laughs> yeah. do it for a price, right? So you could do this. That the movie yes. looks yeah. like it and should by all rights have cost much more than it did, but it, it fell into a, a, a budget bracket that permitted that kind of freedom. And then, you know, Steve um, is such a wonderful producer. Uh you know, he 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 knew going in what the deal was, and he wasn't going to pressure you to do anything. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, that's like the sort of important ingredient that's lost. I I've sort of stopped watching movies to some extent, um, contemporary films. I'm more interested in comic books. Than uh, well, do you think it's that reason, Vincenzo? Like, do you think it's because this sort of like this striving? Because I, I think. I feel the strive for the perfection of the craft has overtaken any sort of interest. I, I do think that. I think that, and, I, it's, and you're making an interesting point because yeah. I don't think it's just, um, for lack of a better word, the money people. I think that it's it's an obsession over surface detail and technique, and it also like surface not just in the yes. in the technical side of things, but like the storytelling. Like, people are so obsessed with everything being easily digested and understood and done with intention that it, it's sort of like sanitizing the, the writing process. And, um, uh, I, you know, and I, that's why I mean, it's like, it's a pressure that exists beyond just producers in the room pressuring somebody. It's like, there's an atmosphere, a general atmosphere yeah. that exists that, you know, makes you want to make sure that it, your story is, Clean and tidy, and that you know every little bow is tied, and um, uh, it is so. It's almost like um, it's like a cultural pressure at this moment. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example, like, and maybe you can back this up, Vincenzo. And this will help you guys sort of understand what we sort of go through when we're creating this stuff. Is that when you're in the edit room, 
there could be a moment, let's, let's say from a classic film, I'm going to try and drum one up in my brain and maybe you guys can help me afterwards, but there are moments in films that don't need to happen. They really don't. There, it could be someone sitting there and playing table tennis with someone and then they miss and then, and then, you know, like it, it, just some moment that doesn't really need to happen. But for whatever reason, your brain, when you were writing the story said, I need this thing in there and, or, or I just really want to do this. Uh, and then in the edit, you go, you know what? We, we just don't really need it. Let's just stick to the, you know, let's yeah. clear, concise, get to the things we need to see and nothing else in there. And I find when I go back to movies I love, I'll all of a sudden go, wow, like this has nothing to do with anything. But it really does set me up in a way, emotionally or some other way, to, to become in love with the film or become endearing, endeared to, to a character. It's, it's, it's stuff we don't know needed to be there, but does. But when you're trying, you're stri striving for, quote, perfection in filmmaking, you're, you're, you're cutting all the fat. But sometimes that stuff is very necessary. Um, and so it's, it's hard to know that now because we have defined in terms of how we make yeah. these movies now, defined methodologies for that is a necessary thing and this is an unnecessary thing. I couldn't imagine and, Die Hard without the scene where the SWAT guy pricks himself on the rose bush. You know? <laughs> Those little moments are what make the movies for me because they allow me to believe in this world because that's how it kind of is, right? Like, I love those little quirks when, like, a shot maybe goes on a little too long because it's the actors connecting away or just yeah. a happenstance. But that's hard to, to, it's hard to know now because that is considered. Well, yeah, like, I flaw. actually have an example <laughs> of a recent film. Uh, uh, Great. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? has mm -hmm. like okay. those scenes where uh margot roby's character like sharon tate is you know just kind of she visits the theater and then she goes and buys a book and she goes back to the theater and admittedly i think that sequence runs a little bit long but like you know it she she gets to have in her well some of her only dialogue is in that scene where she's buying the book but, <laughs> yes um it does it, it just gives a way to round out and show a lot about her character yeah. her characterization of a historical figure and it adds some like quirky timely cuteness but technically if you're striving for like a clean efficient film that film, scene wouldn't yeah. exist no it doesn't need to exist it doesn't need to and that's the hardest part is knowing when, when, when it should go and when it should stay. <laughs> it's, it really, it really is. And, and yeah, it's, How? it, uh, Oh, no, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, oh. yeah, that was me. Sorry. No, I was going to ask how much, especially with a film of this size does, um, do, uh, you know, like focus groups, do they play in any part of that? Or is that kind of like the festival scene is seen? You know, uh, well, for this film, like any film, we show we show it to people. We show it to people, and we get you know feedback. And everyone has an opinion of of, of pacing and stuff. Uh, I I'm unfortunately I'm sort of an outcast in pacing because I'm someone who loves to watch 2001. Um, yeah. So you, I I'm not really the best pacing police or timing police. 
but in terms in terms of of you know what I as long for me as long as the film gives an, the emotional response I want, uh, then I'm happy with the cut. Um, and that can be a long version, a short version, but you tend to know that when it's not giving the results, if, you know, a, a room full of your peers says, you know, I, th this is great, but it's not really hitting me. And you, you sort of go back and, and trim, but the overall, you know, it's just, it's not particularly in this film. Cause I don't think we, we didn't have to do anything we didn't want to in this film. Yeah. Um, there was definitely longer cuts of the film and there was more going on. But I think this this version works best for everybody, uh, and I think that's that's when you know you've got. Yeah, the cut I, that, I feel that, like it does. Um, go with. I mean, because I I watch it in the middle of of watching. Uh, I was I was doing a lot of festivals at the time, and so I was watching a ton of stuff in very short succession. And I have to say, I still really enjoyed the pacing of the film. Like, it doesn't feel like it has. Uh, it doesn't feel bloated in spots, you know, like it really kind of, it, it's a good, pretty tight narrative in terms of the structure of it, which, which made it. Yeah. I, I would say like, I, don't, I can't think of anything that I, I would say doesn't need to be there. It's, it's pretty, um, it's a well-told tale. Well, this, this was the tightest version it could be because <laughs> there comes a point too, when you go and you see this in films all the time, you know, where, all of a sudden you don't even know where you are in the movie because they've cut out entire scenes that needed mm -hmm. to be there in, 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 in the, in the goal of, of getting things moving quicker, but then you're, you're missing logic. And once you're missing logic, I think that breaks right. other people's brains. Right. Um, so for us, it was sort of the limit was staying within the realm of this works logically still, even though there are missing pieces that, that, that uh, we thought we needed in mm -hmm. the film but we no longer need them because the logic still all works for what's going on. Um, well, Anthony, yeah. can I interject? Um, I think that there's something sure. that you did in the pacing of the film that is hypnotic. That, you know, the power of the movie is partly based around um, the flow of the scenes and that there's a kind of dreamlike quality to the editing and, um, you know, some movies that wouldn't work for, but I, I, I don't imagine that there is any other way this could have been done. Well, you know, that kind of worries me a little, Vincenzo, and I'll tell you why, is that if you look at my Darknet episode, uh, Father's Day and Come True, <laughs> they all have the same pacing. So I think that I'm, I, <laughs> I think I just do that, that on in the way that I like to do things anyway. So I hope, I hope that doesn't become a, a problem when I'm, I don't know, <laughs> making a, a diehard movie. <laughs> I, I totally want to see John McClane yeah. face down some like shadow people. <laughs> well, it, it, it just, you know, it, it, it's not, I think the interesting thing about what you're saying there is that it's not necessarily something I devised for come true alone. It just is the way that I tell stories and whether that'll be good for people or not is really, you know, I think I'm happy with that. I just have to accept it. That That's just the way I like to tell stories. And, and it comes from me, honestly, and I don't know any other way to do it. I think there's something to be said about like, uh, you know, style for a filmmaker, because, you know, a lot of 
the you know extremely talented filmmakers tend to have a similar approach to telling stories. I mean, obviously you'll you'll see that in, in anyone we would consider a great filmmaker, basically. And the, it, it should be kind of an uh, a unique to that particular creative voice because otherwise, you know, if, if every film someone made, if you're like, I can't quite pin the director on that because it could be anybody, like that's a problem. That's <laughs> Brett Ratner. Um. <laughs> yeah, we can trash on him. That stays in the edit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, wait, Brett Ratner did no. a move? Right. Oh. Uh, mm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Vincenzo. I'm, Vincenzo's the nicest person on earth, and he doesn't want to be associated with someone who's making fun of Brett Ratner. Well, no, listen. <laughs> <laughs> there, I mean, this is a very well, positive. <laughs> in hindsight, in hindsight, I mean, he's a he's a yeah. bad person. See, see, here's <laughs> so. the thing. There's, this is like I like I mentioned up front. This is a very positive show. Uh, we don't yeah. do a lot of film trashing here, but there's a small list of people and films that I'm and just Brett like, Ratner's oh no to that, no. Sorry, I've now destroyed <laughs> my own career. In all, in all fairness, this is a monster podcast, <laughs> so I think it's okay. yeah. There you go. Yeah. I think I'll allow it moving forward. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I think it's also, I, I wanted to mention this on the, the show. It's interesting because I've, so I've never experienced sleep paralysis. I've never seen, I have had waking nightmares before, uh, but I haven't seen shadow people. The one thing that I did have in nightmares growing up still, I it was kind of in the world, like the nightmare realm to some degree. So I, um, when I was a kid, one type of weird abstract nightmare that I would regularly have would be there's this like, like kind of abstract, like uh, it would like, it's just abstract imagery that would just kind of like overtake my dreamscape uh, with like alternating black and white imagery. And it kind of felt like some of the actual nightmare world like as as the camera's traveling through these sort of surrealist mm -hmm. landscapes um they looked very familiar to me that part of it looked familiar to me well I, yeah i don't dream in color for some reason I, I do you guys i don't dream in color it's black and white yeah i dream, I, I dream in color but sound is uh funny in my, my dreams yeah, I can never read or see color in my dreams. I don't hear. I, I hear the sound of an ocean, like if you put your uh, your ear to a seashell. That tends to be, yeah. Vincenzo, do I, I you do, have yeah. color? I feel like my color is faded, though. Interesting. Mm. I don't, yeah, I don't. it's not like vibrant. It's never right. vibrant, right? It's it, like for me, it's 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 like monotone. Yeah, like muted. But for very muted, like to the point where I've I've always thought of it as black and white or, like or flesh and white. That's so interesting. To me. <laughs> uh, the the one yeah. nightmare that I the one waking nightmare that I recently had at this point it was like maybe a year and a half ago, but I was not paralyzed. I woke up, uh, I half woke up, and I was still in a dreamlike state, but I was convinced that there was like a giant, this is why I shouldn't watch monster movies all the time. Maybe um, there, there was some sort of like unseen, like monstrous force 
that, or, or thing that was going to try and like break down my front door and like invade the house. And I woke up at like three in the morning convinced it was completely real. And it, it woke up my lady. She was like freaked out. Cause I woke up and I was freaked out. But my first instinct was to like go grab a weapon and open the door. And so, and then I realized like, there's nothing at the well, door. Oh shit. I was dreaming. Which is actually, you know, one of the, th- the reasons why I love dreams as a, as a, subject of a film is that they really are that powerful sometimes and the way you feel in the dream translates to mm-hmm. when you wake up sometimes and that's 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 actually a really scary scenario um like when you the feeling yeah. stays after a dream you've had a dream whether it's a nightmare or even a dream about someone you love you know like i've, I've woken up and someone's died in a dream and you still have that yeah. sadness and it's still there because the event really feels like it has occurred mm-hmm. um uh that was one of the things that made me really want to um weave in so much emotion <laughs> because there is something to that sort of unknown that I, I don't know the the last sort of the ending of of come true that's that's a feeling that i feel a lot mm-hmm. in my dreams uh, I don't know what that feeling is, but I tried to evoke it with the the soundtrack in that in that particular area uh, of the feeling that I end up waking up with a mm-hmm. lot. Now, um, one question that I had uh, thematically, because we've really kind of dug into the sort of the Jungian context of the film, but I also think there's this implied backstory for the uh, the protagonist that kind of implies that you know maybe at some point it, it, it's a little bit. You know, it's definitely subtext. It's not overt, and you can interpret different ways. But that that there might have been abuse or something traumatic that she's running from, and I wonder if there's a yep. thematic connection uh, between the you know trauma, I guess you could say, and the fact that she's plagued by nightmares. There is, um, and it, it goes back to the Jungian. Uh, ideas is that that you know there's something to the things we fear and 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 it's linked to trauma Mm -hmm. do you know do you know what i mean and sometimes the things we fear are are the things that are trying to uh, get us past uh, that trauma and so there definitely is something um yeah i never will say what happened to sarah (laughs) well hey you can can you tell me off the cast I, i will Keep it out of the show. <laughs> okay, fair enough. No, nope. I'll just make it up then. <laughs> officially, nope. yeah, officially, you can make it up in, in your mind. You know, honestly, the best thing. Okay, have you guys played the video, Vincenzo? You have to play this video game called uh, Stories okay. Untold. Mm-hmm. Uh, video game you have to play, text-based horror game, and it, it will illustrate completely in 20 minutes of playing the game why hearing someone tell you a scary thing is just so much scarier than seeing or or watching a scary thing and i think that's why i also like being so ambiguous in horror and why the monsters we won't explain exactly what they are is that once you know it's not scary um and and this this video game perfectly illustrates that because you're playing a text-based video game where it says you walk around the side of the house what do you do 
turn on the generator, you know, like you type this stuff in and it, it gets you, it gets you really worked up and scared. You know, you hear footsteps down the hall, you know, it's someone, you have to make it all up in your mind. And we've known this forever. It's not new, but, but I think we've lost it mm-hmm. a little bit in, 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 honestly, in our, in our ability to make anything we want with CGI, we've now decided that we should show yeah. it all. And I think that, returning to not showing it all is definitely going to make things scarier. So yeah, I, I, yeah, the monster can be much scarier to not know what's going on and what's going on with our protagonist fully, because once we know, you know, what am I going to do ever in therapy and we get to see yes. that scene. Have, have, has everyone seen deep impact? <laughs> <laughs> Here's my segue. Uh, have you, have you seen deep yeah. impact Vincenzo? I, in fact, I have to confess, I, I didn't see either no. of the uh, meteor movies or asteroid movies. Uh, nice. <laughs> well, I recently watched Deep Impact uh, on a streaming surface, and it was a great it was a great example of a movie where they chose an interesting topic, and their way in was so interestingly wrong. Okay. You know, like it's like I'm talking about how if we were to retell come true from the therapy room as opposed yeah. to, do you know, like, so you go outside of, and, and so Deep Impact was there's a meteor happening and we're going to be with the newscaster who's breaking the story. <laughs> you know, like, like it just a, and in the newsroom talking, you know, it was like, it, it's, it's, it, it was mm-hmm. just an interesting decision. Let's put it that way. And, and it really, really, it was wildly, I don't know, <laughs> fascinating to watch a movie uh, about something so dire and, and, and horrifying be told from a perspective that you wouldn't think a blockbuster would do. Like, it was just really, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a classroom. That film's a classroom of like, <laughs> oh, like, this is a weird, like, all the decisions made are like how to how to tell something so huge on such a small scale that it yeah. doesn't work. But that, you know what it, I mean? Yeah. Go back to, to relate that to come true. I think that was one of the things that Steve and I responded to in the script was the fact that Sarah is so relatable and, you know, for all of this talk of, of ambiguity and abstractness and so on, actually at its core, there's a very strong emotional Component, which is Sarah, and you relate to her, and then of course Julia's performance is so excellent. You you, you emotionally engage yes. with this movie right out of the gate, and um, mm-hmm. and I I always think back to Close Encounters, um, the Steven Spielberg movie, which when it was originally written by Paul Schrader was uh, main character, the Roy Neary character, the equivalent of Roy Neary, the Richard Dreyfuss character was one of the Project Blue Book people. Like he was, you know, he was a government agent. And Spielberg said, no, no, it's got to be like a a regular guy. And Paul Schrader said, well, I'm not going to have the first human being who makes contact with aliens be somebody who goes to McDonald's. And Spielberg said, no. (laughs) But the genius of that, too, like it's, it's um, we we need to enter into these sort of strange worlds through characters worlds relate to carefully. Them. Yes, 
Exactly. And, and things we understand. Um, that is Spielberg's, honestly, that, that's my feeling personally, is that Spielberg's strongest power is that he always knew the right way in. And, and, and often it was just your regular person. Seeing it through a regular person's eyes or through a child's eyes, all of a sudden everyone right. can relate. We, if, if we're in the middle of a situation and it's, it's, you know, in the case of something like Deep Impact, they're talking at it from a newscaster's point of view, not a, re, like not a person's point of view, but a newscaster's point of view in a, in a way that it's not identifiable. Mm-hmm. And you could not get into this world easily because it, it was, yeah, it just didn't, it just did not connect emotionally. And I think that that is Spielberg's do you uh, feel that- superpower and something that I definitely mm-hmm. tried to do. I tried, I tried really hard to make uh, the entrance into this world be something that was almost a sleight of hand. Like this is, this is going to be a regular entertaining Spielberg kind of movie and then it's going to go off the rails into weirdness. So yeah, it kind of, kind of r- reminds me by contrast of, of how in, uh, in Jurassic park, for example, they, they could have just been like, okay, dinosaurs, but the actual first encounter with dinosaurs in Jurassic park has a heavy focus on the reactions of people seeing dinosaurs for the first time. Hmm. And people who, who, who right from the get go, we understand that while they are scientists, they're just, right. they're regular people. They're, yeah. you know, like just like you and I, but they happen to have right. a doctorate. <laughs> that feels like a direct reaction to kind of how they, they used to do it. Where almost all these science fiction and horror films, we were led in through the science expedition or, you know, you think of the Quater mass films and what Nigel Neal was doing. It was that kind of science event. And the large bugs take over the city films. It's always, you know, these scientists who are having like, sciencey conversations in like basement rooms. Exactly. And it's, you have to, the hardest, one of the hardest genres to work in, I think would have to be, you know, horror, science fiction, and fantasy because they're selling the absolute absurd. We need to believe it in order for it to work. And you're selling the most absurd mm-hmm. concepts to us. And if you can't do that by having scientist man straighten his glasses and say, I'm going to speechify you for you know, 10 minutes. You know, we need guys like me stepping up, you know, people experiencing these things because they allow us, as you say, that entry. Like a so stand in for the audience. So many things. Yes, you need it. And you need that emotional through line too. I think a lot of horror has removed the idea of character and emotional subtext. And uh, for me, Horror is always completely grounded more when there is that emotion. I mean, why do you think Carrie and The Shining and even uh, Shirley Jackson's The Haunting? Yes, they're fantastic and weird and scary, but I care about this girl going through high school. I care about Nell as she's suffering her unfortunate midlife crisis, you know? And, and it's, it allows this, this broader, crazier world to make more sense to me. And I, I applaud anybody who brings it back, so thank you. <laughs> Well, it's it's definitely again talk about the the tightrope is 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 balancing these things and getting them right is really hard and I think that's you know the as someone who is new to doing this as a as a full time career, <laughs> uh, Vincenzo can speak to this more clearly than me. But it's it really is a a miracle when you get anything <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, because it's a weird tightrope you're telling you're, there's so many things that can go wrong in in from from the moment you get started it's it's a it, 
so so while I, yeah i made fun of brett ratner earlier but the, 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 reality, the, the reality is is that 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 making any movie happen and happen and, and end up on the other side with it making sense and with characters that you care about or any any of those things working out at all is a miracle and uh you just keep trying to do your best and 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 yeah it's uh it's uh as a person who's failed multiple times to make even like mild sense out of five minutes of material, I, I can't help from both of you <laughs> for making careers out of it, for doing it time and time again as well. Well, I, I don't know what you mentioned though, but I can't not do it. So it's really, even if I all of a sudden was stricken by, uh, I don't know, uh, by a comet, something <laughs> by a comet, I, you know, I still want to do this a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, um. <laughs> you have to be a masochist. Yeah, but in, in a good way. In a good way. It's 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 super super rewarding. And and listen, it's our it's it's a personal endeavor that that you know people get to enjoy now. And I'm I'm super mm-hmm. thrilled. And I'm like the fact that you enjoyed it, Jeff. Uh, like I'm, it really really touches me because it is a personal thing and. It, and no one need enjoy it. <laughs> and the fact that anybody is enjoying it and, and connecting to it, it's, it really, really means a lot to me um, because it is a very personal movie. Well, yeah, like, I, I mean, um, uh, I'm also inspired by, uh, Vincenzo, you mentioned being inspired by it earlier, but like, sincerely, I mean, my career, currently I write about films, but my career goal is to make them. And it, it's uh, inspirational to see what you were able to, to do. And it has, uh, you know, your hand on the wheel, so to speak, in so many aspects of the film. And I would say successfully, I, I very much enjoy it. And so, uh, you know, it, it's, it makes it feel, um, uh, I don't know, like, like a thing that's possible, you know? Yeah, I think about. But, but we're here to say you have to be a masochist. <laughs> yeah, a super masochist. Because <laughs> I still remember yeah. being like that teenager picking up Fangoria and learning about Cube and learning about you know Vincenzo Natale. And it's like, boom, I could do this too. I tried, and I'm glad I failed because I was awful at it. <laughs> but, but it was you know just yeah the idea and and here you are, twenty some odd years later, you know still producing amazing content and allowing other creatives to produce amazing content. Like it's, it's masochism yeah, well, Vincenzo. with a sweet deal. Like, yeah. Those are very fun words. I mean, listen, <laughs> I, I think uh, now that I'm getting long in the tooth, uh, I, I'm a good example of just sticking with it because um, mm. uh, you know, <laughs> things just take longer than you want them to. Or expect them to always and yeah. uh, I mean come true you know in my books like was made like a, a bottle rocket just, but in fact how many years did were you physically working on it Anthony uh, so probably three in total three in total uh, but we were gonna make it before our house you remember we had it sort of like set up and we we're gonna make it before our house and then uh, went off and made our house um but yeah so in total we've been working on it for six but three of actual getting down to doing so three years to be clear about this like three years of a full-time job yes yeah 
Yeah, two years of a full time um, job. Like, and 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 working on on the post of it, I think you know most people probably would have went insane because every day I would wake up, I would sit at my desk all day long editing, doing VFX shots. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm an editor, so I, I know, <laughs> it was intense. I know that life. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it it was absolutely intense, and and the the number of VFX shots. A lot of people don't understand that the movie because of the way it was shot. Um, every single screen had to be replaced. Um, part of how you sort of get away with such a low budget is is in set extensions and removals mm-hmm. and things like that. And we did all that. And it was a long time. So you really have to, that's the, that's the thing. You really have to love the project and really want it mm-hmm. out there. Um, if you sort of like something, it'll not, it won't happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's that. That's a hard. That's is that. That's for me. That's the hardest one to swallow. Is I don't know about you, Vincenzo. Is that sometimes there's something where I'm like I sort of like that, and it just if you sort of like it, it's never going to happen. Yeah, it's funny. You know, it's paradoxical because sometimes I feel like it feels like the things I'm most most passionate about are the hardest to get made. But then when I look back, I I am positive that the things I was most passionate about are the ones that survived the longest. So it does pay off. Yeah. That you, that your interest stays with. There's something, there's something, yeah. Embedded in those, in those ones that I was, you know, I literally would have died to make the movie that has made them durable over time. Whereas, um, you know, some of the films that were maybe a little bit easier, none of them were easy, but a little bit easier. I don't know that they resonated over a long period of time. So whatever it was that was like driving me to do this thing, obviously I was reacting to something, you know, special about it. And um, uh, yeah, and I'm surprised. Like sometimes, you know, the things that feel like long shots, if you really, really believe in them, end up being the ones that get made. Whereas the ones that you think, well, I like it, but, uh, and I'm, I'm not wildly passionate about it. I like it and I think it'll get made. Those ones often don't get made. Um, yeah. Where it's like the ones that are like, that's good. That sounds good. That's good advice. Yeah. That's good advice. It, it bucks conventional wisdom. And you know, this business is just like so tough to be honest. Um, I always think that mm-hmm. filmmaking and architecture must be very similar in so much as, you know, most architects never make most of what they design. Like, you know, yeah. they're, they're pitching things all the time and, and probably their most interesting buildings are never built because the, it's so expensive and, and there's so much at risk for the people who are investing in, the, in those buildings. Mm-hmm. The film is, is quite similar that way. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that's, it's, no, it's, it, it's really true. <laughs> there's so many things, like I had to come to terms of, with the fact that I'm not going to be able to make, I'm not going to be a film a year person. <laughs> like it's just not going to happen. You're not going to you know? be the comedian, Mika, uh, the, the Canadian uh, Mika? <laughs> well, just in, in, in terms of the, that the amount of passion that it takes to do this, I don't know that I could, you know, you really have to love mm-hmm. this stuff. You really have to love it. And, and, and it's like Vincenzo saying, like, you might think something's a sure shot and you go, Oh, you know what? This is probably the most marketable thing I've come up with. And, and this will be the one, but it just, it just seems like it's never easy to get it off the ground because it doesn't, it's, it's, it's a lot of money to make. Yeah. Movies. It's a lot Even of money. 
And so you really, really, you really have to love the thing that you're going to put out there. And I think that there's, there's very few stories that I'm really in love with, but I, I'm happy right now because I have two that I'm working on. That's amazing. I look forward to hearing more about that. I'm very, very, very. I was going to say, what's that? Is a shining example of that. And, and not just in the production of it, but even in the, after it was finished, getting it out into the circuit and getting distribution and so on. Um, there were a few dark moments and, and yet you kept the faith and then it sort of ended up in the best possible release. And that I've consistently yeah. <laughs> learned that um, very often the worst things have to happen in order to have the best results. So for anyone who's like in this process and is in a dark place, um, truly it is often darkest before the dawn and, and you must stick with it because uh, I can tell you the example of this movie, there was a moment where, you know, it looked like maybe we wouldn't find a distributor and it was just circumstance and luck was not in our, our side of the ring at the moment, but then at that moment, but then things did go our way. And now the film's getting a really, really strong release and it's had a fantastic response and many, many festivals. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been on my radar for a while now. It's actually like it's the biggest movie I'm. It's my most anticipated release this year. Like Jeff. <laughs> well, yeah, Jeff Pressure. Jeff Pressure. About it, like unfortunately, you know, I, I just. I don't know if anybody asked me. I'm just like, it's great. Watch it. Yeah. I'm very. Bad. Yeah, he was just just like instantly. Right after he was done with it, it was like you need to watch this picture. This is like a thing, and it's like. Yeah, this is this is the release I've been waiting for. It's just the idea. Um, I, I'm just so <laughs> I cannot. Cool. Be. Yeah. Well, I, I hope there are more more people like you, Andrew. Oh, they're very, <laughs> and, they're and very that they're willing willing to to rent the, the movie and see it and enjoy it and be open be open to the monsters in the film and be open to the ideas and and. I guess not be too beholden to uh, typical film logic. <laughs> I mean, it's all about nightmares no, and dream logic, you know. It has to. Yeah, it's it's its own bag. No. Oh yeah, no. yeah, yeah. But you you have to you have to sort of surrender to that, you know. Like like any sort of exploratory genre film, it's not you know, it's not a ghost story where where they got to figure out what's happening and put the ghost spirit to rest and and <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it's it's it doesn't follow those those sort of. Uh, uh, typical plot points, but it does it does try to create a feeling. I think for me, the most important thing, and why I was I was saying to Vincenzo, I'm worried that uh, you know all my films are going to feel like dreams. Is that I, I I'm always searching for a certain feeling mm-hmm. uh, from the stuff that I'm creating. Uh, it's the same as when I write music. Is it's about the outcome on the other side that that you feel from the the the, the composition or the uh, the movie. It's it and sometimes I I I. I sacrifice things that are, you know, would would have been nice to be in the movie. <laughs> you know, I, I'll sacrifice those in 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 service to the feeling, um, because maybe that that thing that would make things more clear and maybe even make the film better might not give you that feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's where I get back to the sort of weirdness and ineptitudes of past films is that it, I'm searching for a particular feeling, the kind that you get from mm-hmm. Don't Look Now, where 
you know, the pacing might be off or certain shots might feel, you know, might not be perfect, but the feeling you come out with on the other end of a film like that is, is the thing I'm searching for. So, mm -hmm. and that's, um, even in the monsters that are in the film, they're, they're, they look this, the way they are because of the feeling we're trying no, to No, totally. I mean, it's a different genre yep. entirely, but, uh, I remember, uh, reading in, uh, uh, Hitchcock, the, the, the Hitchcock Truffaut book, uh, how he talks about similarly that that you should never let logic get in the way of emotion in a film. Like the point is to evoke wow. feelings, not you don't need everything to work because like intellectually, because the point is to evoke feeling and audiences will forgive lapses in logic as long as they feel something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would support that. <laughs> I would support that. I mean, it, it, yeah. it makes sense. I mean, when you rewatch the Well, and again, you know, this is part of uh, the, the sort of new film criticism, and I'm sure you could speak more to that, Jeff, is, is that, that it's the way people see films mm -hmm. is different now. The way we, we, we take in content is different. Uh, I hate calling it content, but it is content. Um, uh, and And logic seems to be really, really important mm -hmm. to some people, you know, and, and, you know, while it's important to me that everything work on a story uh, level, logic isn't necessarily, uh, it shouldn't be this, the thing that a film is judged upon because. Yeah. yeah right. Why? Uh, yeah. I mean, Why? personally, <laughs> as, as a critic, unless a film has 90% of it is clear exposition, I mean, I don't want anything to do with it. I just like to be preached to and then have the logic laid out for me because my, you know, I don't like to have to have my mind do any work. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, had to think. One star. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. How dare you? Just one one minute of more of your time. Um right. Uh, what, uh, for, for both of you, um, do you have any things that you'd like to pitch to listeners at home or things that you're working on or things you'd like them to check out? Oh man, <laughs> you're giving us a, uh, an option and I, you know, I'm terrible at this. I'm terrible at this whole uh, social media game. Um, honestly, I, I, I just hope that, you know, people will, will, go and see come true and, and, and be open to the idea of, of letting the film uh, take you where, where it wants to. <laughs> and if you're open to that, I think you'll have a, a, a good time watching the movie. Um, and I'm obviously thankful to you, Jeff, for giving us a platform here to Absolutely. chat about the film and uh, uh, big shout out to Vincenzo for coming on here and, and giving yes. us his time. He's a really busy guy and, and, uh, I'm thankful that he was a part of my, my movie making and hopefully he will be a part of it uh, going forward. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, Vincenzo, any last? I have nothing to plug. I have nothing to plug. <laughs> yeah. Except okay. the movie. I'll, I'll, I'll plug you after, after you're gone. I'll just be like, everyone just check out everything Vincenzo has done and <laughs> check out come true. Um, but thank you both for your time so much. It's been a true pleasure. Um, and I'd love to have you back on to talk splice or anything really in the future. Oh, yes, please. That would be awesome, Jeff. Cool. It's such a pleasure speaking with you and, and you, Andrew. And, uh, and yes, go, go see Come True. It's, it's really worth it. It's something totally unique.
would like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of recorded human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares, they've been our protectors and our villains, they've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive.